Thank you, Chalice Ringers. You bless us with your hard work. I invite you uh, to look again at the front of the bulletin. If you didn't get a good look at that painting while Marty was doing the children's sermon, give it another look. It's weird, isn't it? Strange. Who could make up something like that? The artist, Edward Hicks, of course, didn't make it up himself. He was merely inspired, illustrating what was right here in the second Sunday of Advent scripture reading that David just read to us. This vision from the prophet of Isaiah. Predators dwelling in harmony with their prey. Lions eating straw like an ox instead of eating the ox. And the most vulnerable humans in society, little baby children, are free to stick their hands and play in the dens of venomous snakes. This is strange. Now, the second Sunday of Advent is traditionally the Sunday of peace, where we light the candle of peace, we hang our banner of peace. Is this strange picture from Isaiah what peace looks like? Contrast this picture with the future we imagine in futuristic movies that are so popular in our culture today. Sci-fi once used to imagine a peaceful future, the world of Star Trek, where the whole Federation gets along. There is no more war. That's the future. But not anymore. Those movies now are filled with doom and gloom. The zombie virus spreads. The band of survivors face increasing difficulty after difficulty. The future as we imagine it is bleak and apocalyptic. Climate change wrecking havoc across the world. Wars and rumors of wars. Death, disease from unknown viruses. Invaders from space. Where do we get such dark visions of the future? Well... Just look around. Things aren't getting better, are they? Watch 24-hour news with a paintbrush in your hand, and your painting will look a lot different than Edward Hicks's The Peaceable Kingdom. What's going to happen in the future? Well, I don't know, but it ain't going to be good. More terrorist attacks, probably World War III, nuclear holocaust. It may not be a zombie virus, but it might as well be. This dark, apocalyptic vision of the future, this is what makes sense. This we can imagine, the painting of a peaceable kingdom. Now that is strange. And then we hear this word, this vision from the prophet Isaiah on this second Sunday of the season of Advent. And it begins with a tree being cut off, which sounds like something we put in one of our movies. But from that tree... There's new growth, new life. From a time of despair, there's hope. The historical situation of this prophet was a time of great upheaval. Judah in the 8th century BCE, when these words were written, was a precarious time. The massive superpower, Assyria, was wrecking havoc all across the globe. These were the days of a divided kingdom where what we call Israel was actually two nations, Israel and Judah. And the kingdom of Israel at this point in time had already fallen to Assyria, as had much larger nations. How long would it be until Isaiah's home, 
this small nation of Judah with its capital of Jerusalem, how long until they also fell to the violent hands of Assyria? There they stood on the precipice of a disastrous future, doom and gloom on the horizon, and the prophet imagines this. The prophet talks about the spirit of God, but in Hebrew the word for spirit is ruach. You kind of got to Got to hawk up something when you say it. <laughs> Ruach, which actually means wind or breath. In a time of despair, the breath of God starts blowing. It reminds me of what happens when seasons change. There's always a strong wind, isn't there? The wind blows in the fall and then the winter. But after winter, the wind blows in spring and summer. The wind signals that things will be changing soon. And the Hebrews had a hard time distinguishing the wind from God's spirit or God's breath. In the beginning, we're told God breathed into humanity and gave humanity life and breath and spirit. And God continues to breathe across creation, making things new. The prophet, the people are worried about what future calamities will blow their way. But the prophet begins to talk about the wind of God, the spirit of God blowing in peace across the earth. The prophet paints an image of this stump, this remnant of a tree that once was growing. Now a shoot is coming out of it. New growth. He calls the stump the stump of Jesse. Jesse being the father of David, Israel's greatest king. And from the ruins of that dynasty, something new will come. This shoot is a person, the prophet says. A new king, a prophet, the Messiah. Maybe it's a new people. Maybe it's you and me. Whatever it is, whoever it is, the prophet tells us that they will see the world with new eyes. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. I love that phrase. Hear it again. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. He shall not decide by what his ears hear. No, all evidence, everything around you may point to a future of doom and gloom. This is all you see. This is all you hear. But this person's judgment comes from something beyond what they see, from a world imagined with new eyes. This person will find hope in the midst of hopelessness. She will look at what's around and all the stumps that are there, but from the stumps see new life springing forth. He will see God's spirit blowing in the wind and take up a paintbrush. And instead of imagining a future of more death and destruction, she will paint the peaceable kingdom as strange as it may look. Recently, I read a story about a guy named Derek Black. The Washington Post published his story on October 15th called The White Flight of Derek Black. And last week in the New York Times, he wrote a piece in his own words. Now, Derek Black is the godson of David Duke, former imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and still one of America's leading white supremacists. Derek's father is Don Black, who created the racist website Stormfront, the Internet's first and largest white nationalist website, with 300,000 users and counting. His mother, Chloe, was actually married to David Duke at one point. At the age of 10, Derek built a Stormfront website for children 
to teach kids the beliefs of white nationalism in a way, language that they could understand. And Derek and his dad for years hosted a radio show together, the Don and Derek Black Show that broadcasts across the country from their home in South Florida. In 2008, at the age of 19, he received national attention when he ran for a local election in Palm Beach County on an extremely racist, pro-white platform, and he won overwhelmingly. Derek Black was labeled as the future leader of the white nationalist movement. And then, well, he graduated high school, and he went to college, to New College in Sarasota. It was a progressive, diverse school, and Derek knew he should probably keep his white nationalist views to himself. He made friends. He was pretty much a normal kid, a good student. Then after class, he would call into the radio show and host it with his dad, spewing hate over the airwaves. It was a very duplicitous life, one that was eventually going to come out, and soon it did. A fellow student, while researching for a paper, terrorist groups in the United States stumbled across a picture of a guy he'd seen on campus, Derek Black. He posted it on a student student forum website. Derek Black, white supremacist radio host, new college student? How do we as a community respond? And it just went like wildfire throughout the campus. Over the next few months, he experienced a lot of tension. Some found it hard to believe that this guy who may have seen in class was this white nationalist voice in America. They'd had meaningful discussions with him, people of all races and faith traditions, and yet this was who he was? Some just wrote him off. Many sent him hateful messages, but one acquaintance of his had another idea. What are you doing Friday night, he said to Derek in a message. This friend, Matthew Stevenson, was the only Orthodox Jew at New College. They had met, weren't great friends. But for the last year, he had been hosting within his apartment his own Shabbat, Sabbath dinner, every Friday night. He had no one else to share it with, so he just invited his friends, most of them Christians or atheists, many black or Hispanic, and he would serve them a traditional Jewish Shabbat meal, say the traditional prayers, and they would hang out. So this Orthodox Jew invites the leading young leader of the white supremacist movement in America to his Shabbat table. And there they pray for the peace of shalom. And Derek came. Maybe he never spent time with a Jewish person, Matthew wondered. He told his friends, let's let's treat him like everyone else. And he showed up, and he kept coming. And over the course of several years, they forged friendships at this table. He shared with them his views. They told him their stories. And he began to change. In his own words, published a, few, a week ago in the New York Times, he described these meals through many talks with devoted and diverse people at my college, people who chose to invite me into their dorms and their conversations rather than ostracize me. I began to realize the damage I had done. Ever since, I've been trying to make up for it. A white supremacist sitting down for a Sabbath meal with people of various faiths, and races, a white supremacist changing his mind, renouncing his hateful worldviews, being disowned by his family because he is now a voice for inclusion and peace. That's pretty strange, isn't it? Like lions grazing with oxen, strange. 
Now, in researching that painting on the cover of your bulletin, I learned that it, the version you have there is actually one of 62 surviving paintings, all by the same artist, all called the same thing, the Peaceable Kingdom. Edward Hicks was born in 1780, and he painted his first version of that painting in 1833. And from then on, he kept painting that picture, different versions of the scene until he died in 1849. He was painting a picture for his daughter, that scene, when he died. And each one looks very similar, and yet each one is different, sometimes in simple ways, often in profound ways. Some versions are more peaceful than others. Sometimes the animals, like the one on your bulletin, lie there with looks of serenity. Other times, the animals begin to snarl. They raise their claws, threaten to break out of this harmony of the peaceable kingdom. But always in the upper left-hand corner is a picture of a modern scene, like the scene in our painting of Pennsylvania Quakers signing a treaty of respect and peace with the native tribe. Hicks, during his life, lived through wars between the United States and multiple native indigenous tribes. He was there for the Bloody War of 1812, the Mexican-American War. His own church tradition, the Quaker tradition during his lifetime, split after many years of fighting one side led by his own cousin. Yet in the midst of all this division and war in his country and his church, he spent his life painting peace. Now the prophet says he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. And it beckons us to ask ourselves, what future do we see? What do we hear? Maybe things will keep getting worse and worse. Maybe our greatest fears will be realized. Maybe peace is impossible. Maybe a dinner invitation will never change the mind of a white supremacist. And wars will never cease. And hate will win. Maybe. Or maybe a shoot will spring forth from the stump. Maybe the breath of God will blow. Maybe our Advent hope will become a reality. The season of Advent compels us to see the world with new eyes. Eyes that see beyond the surface to a different world. A child shall lead them, the prophet says. And his vision became truth. For it is by the light of that child that we will find our way into the new world that is springing forth all around us. A shoot bursting forth from a stump, the wind of God blowing in a new world. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you imagine this new world? What vision of the world will you spend your life painting? Amen.